with me this morning to Romans chapter 1. We'll be taking a break, a one-week break from the series we're on in the book of Exodus. And as been duly noted throughout the liturgy this morning, um, this is Reformation Sunday. And we're going to look at a passage that was again referred to, Romans chapter 1, we're going to read verse 16 and 17, um, and focus in, of course, toward the end here this morning on verse 17. So let's begin by looking at verse 16. So, So verse 16 and 17 at least in the ESV Bible, I don't know if it's in every English translation this way, is a little indention, okay? And what follows after it, the Apostle Paul from chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter, I would say at least chapter 3, verse 23, Paul deals with the doctrine of sin. And, And that's a very heavy, heavy, Um, dark passage um, in terms of where it leaves us, every one of us and every human being that ever lived. Um, But he begins by by teaching on that to to the church at Rome with these words, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, um, once again, we thank you for the church globally and your eternal plan in it. We're thankful this morning for, for Christ Community Church and everything that has gone on uh, so far to this moment and even the things that continue through this day, um, through the teaching that's going on. We thank you, Lord, for the, for the Arabic Brethren Church that faithfully preached the gospel as their service goes on even now. And we're all, Lord, we understand this. We're all, um, we're all in a, between a crux and a hard place. We must answer this question. How can I be right before you? And, and I, I'm asking you, God, that you'll confront each of us with that question, even this, this morning. And, and that doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian. Could be a Christian 50 years or more, as such is the case for me, or could have been a Christian within the past five years, whatever that might be. Help us to, um, to look at this freshly together as your, as your church. Help us not to regard the gospel, your love and mercy, and your, your son um, lightly. Give us, Lord, we ask, a sense of a robust 
gospel because only a robust gospel saves. And we want to desperately cling to that and, and to be passionate about it in a real sense. So we're, we're asking for that, God, this morning and pray. Jesus says that, that you're um, glorified in this and that your spirit would, would walk among us, Lord. And for those who may not know Jesus, you this morning, I pray that you would bring them to yourself. We ask for these things in your name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Reformation Day, of course, is October 31st of every year. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And so it began, the Reformation. That spark lit a flaming fire all across Europe that really even affects why you're sitting here this morning. Um, it's called the Protestant Reformation, a religious revolution that had a far-reaching effect um, politically, socially, and economically throughout Europe. The Reformation that was sparked on that day took off throughout Germany, England, France, Switzerland, and Holland. And the Reformation, which spread truly like a, a wildfire, has carried a very lasting effect. And as has already been mentioned, Martin Luther uh, plays a large role in the Protestant Reformation along with John Calvin. And I just want to refer to a, a couple of things this morning because as much as anything, we're not really going to have a, um, an outline to this text that, that's, that's going to lead to this text. Rather, I want us to think of this like we're in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. In particular, I think you want to think of that in light of uh, your life uh, toward God because uh, there's no getting around this fact that all of us are going to face God one day. doesn't matter how young or old we are. Uh, we're all going to face God. And the question, how can I be made right with God, is essential to our eternity. When John Calvin wrote his Institutes, he likely had little idea on his teaching of the sinful nature of man and the application thereof would impact the founding of a country. Yet his writings and influence, which played a large part in the Geneva's government, also had a significant impact influence on the founding fathers of the United States. When the United States was formed in 13 colonies, there were 3 million people. 2 million of them belonged to Calvinist church. Historian David W. Hall, who taught at Princeton, um, I'm sorry, Harvard's theological school, he was educated at Harvard he was educated at Yale. He is a pastor and he is a, 
an American historian, said this about John Adams and the Founding Fathers, that John Adams viewed Calvin's Geneva as a model for the American Republic to, to emulate. And it's David W. Hall's book, and this is the title of it, The Genevan Reformation and the American Founding. He contends these two things. That when John Calvin wrote on civil government, that it influenced the American resistance to Great Brittany. Or Great Britain. Great Brittany. <laughs> I got too many Britneys in my family. And a resistance to tyranny, that's really had heavily influenced them. It was Calvin's writings that also influenced the restriction of powers in the United States Constitution under his doctrine of lesser magistrates. Now, there's a lot of things that are fascinating to me about the Reformation, and uh, my lovely wife, who's in the nursery this morning, she, she bought me a book a couple of Christmases ago on the Reformation. And it's wide-ranging. It's from a French author. I cannot say his name. I intended to bring the book. But anyways, it's, it's just a wonderful uh, a book. And, and there's so much to, to talk about, really, when you're, when you're considering the Reformation. And they are pretty interesting if you're into history at all, and, and certainly pretty important. But really, Martin Luther, I think, summed up what is super essential that affects all of us now and certainly every human being that will ever live at this point. He said this, that justification by faith alone is the doctrine the church stands or falls. That literally, if we're wrong on the gospel, there is absolutely no reason to be here. That's how sobering it is. That a church who gets the gospel wrong, okay, they shouldn't even exist. And in essence, they don't exist because we know the Spirit writes Ichabod on those places. And we have an 80-year history. I think that's pretty cool. Hope I'm alive when it's 100. <laughs> but um, it's been passed down. You, you, you know, the word justification by faith is intended there. And I'll never forget this. I, I learned this as a teenager. To be justified means to, to be made acceptable. Okay? So God is who, who is holy... How can I be justified or made acceptable uh, before him? And of course, as Martin Luther wrote, it was by faith alone. And every church that ever existed stands or falls on that. Now, inside of what I think is the most, and, and I think we'd all agree on that, is the most essential and important truth about the Protestant Reformation of justification by faith really is derived in a personal struggle of Martin Luther's. He asked the question of himself, how 
Can I be right with God? Martin Luther um, was a Catholic monk and was so for 11 years before he came to faith. But he wrestled with this for over a decade. You read different biographers that had to do with writing about Martin Luther. And uh, he talks about, Martin Luther does, about his, his sins raging within his soul and heart and how, how he was tormented by it. He, he was seeking um, and sought after a settled comfort and peace. And man, I identified with that. That was consistent from, from where I was, right? And, and raised in a Christian home. We, we want to consider this, right? Before, before God, all of us do. We should, we should do this, I, I believe, on a regular. In that desire for a settled comfort and peace, what he genuinely desired was a firm favor with God. And he couldn't find it. And, uh, you know, we could talk a lot about Luther, but again, I think this obviously is the most central issue of his life because there are a lot of things coming out of him, both from the family he was raised in and the things that he was about. And, and I want to just give you a few things of what Luther sought Righteousness in. He sought a works righteousness. He did it with vows. He made vows before God. He fasted in a heavy way. He would, he would pray earnestly and devoutly. He did things to mortify his own flesh and even went through extreme Forms of asceticism. Very difficult things because he knew he was, in fact, a sinner. In all of these things, Luther did them with all the power that he could muster. And all the devotion he could stir up within himself because he, he wanted to be right with God. He wanted desperately um, to have a firm sense of security before God. Then Luther, along the years, um, took a pilgrimage to Rome. And to demonstrate his dedication to the church, he crawled up what's called Pilate's Stairs that's, that's in Rome. Pilate was said to have these, or, or in Romans, was said to have these stairs that Jesus walked up to Pilate's house when he went to uh, the trial, and those were transported uh, along the time of uh, 350 A.D. or so to Rome. And what they amount to is there are 28 marbled steps to which Luther crawled on each step on his knees. And it's said that at each step, Luther prayed the Lord's Prayer. 
Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I can't even think a young person would like to do this. I mean, I had to get on my knees this week uh, to do something at the house, and it took me about a half hour to stand up. <laughs> I mean, my knees hurt like nobody's business. And I'm not trying to complain about it. That's just fact. And literally, unfortunately for me, I was in the house alone. <laughs> so I turned over. I got my elbow on that couch and was able to get my hand <laughs> raised up. But the, the point being, out of fervor, religious fervor, Luther prayed the Lord's Prayer in each step. And here's what he was seeking for his reward. Fewer years in purgatory. Somewhere along the way, on one of those steps, it was said that a voice thundered in his inner man, in his heart, in his soul. And the phrase that we read from this morning in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, along with Romans chapter 1, verse 17, he heard it loud and he heard it clear to him for the first time, though he had read it numerous times. The just shall live by faith. Let's think about Luther to this moment in his agony. He was in despair. He certainly had a sense of great desperation and his soul was in anguish. Now, that may not be you as you think about how I can be right with God. That's certainly not the only way people come into faith, though crisis of soul does ultimately happen. You may be sitting here thinking, you know, my, your life is, is not in any kind of despair. Things are, are good. There's no sense of desperation. You know, you might want a little more money, like everybody does. But honestly, your life is good. So you don't identify with Martin Luther. Please stay with me on this. There's no angst. There's no fear. There's no worries. Still, you must answer. How are you going to stand before God? And what will you say? Because here's some biblical truth to this that sets up this text. Your sin leaves you under divine judgment. Your lack of a righteousness that God requires, you cannot attain, whether you understand that or not. Unless you know the components of the gospel unless you assent to those components to be true, and unless you trust in Jesus alone, you're in a quandary. Dear friends, you need salvation. And you might think, man, saved. Saved? You know, I just don't, I don't see that need for myself. Say from what? Well, here's, here's the gripping fact of what Paul will later to go on to describe in the early chapters of Romans. 
God's holy wrath is at war against your own personal sin. And there is no denying that. John Owen wrote this, Satan's greatest success in making people think that they have plenty of time before they die. I'll never forget Luke's senior year at Stevenson High School. About five kids died that year. It was so unusual. Please, young person, don't take it for granted that you're just going to live. And please don't turn me off right now as if we're just in a room together, just having a, a discussion. Even come to me afterwards with pushback. But even you older people, think about this. Because you are like Luther, like me, like us. We're all in the same condition. We need a righteousness that we cannot attain. A righteousness that is only offered by the grace of God alone. A righteousness that is received by faith alone in Christ alone, else you'll spend eternity under God's wrath and judgment for your rejection of Jesus. And I don't say that to scare you, but in light of the consideration of the Great Reformation, you may not identify with Luther. And yet these things are still true for you as they're true for me. It's a question I have to ask myself. Let's look at this text. Verse 16. Okay, verse 16 obviously sets up verse 17. For I, Paul's speaking, am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, is the power of God. That's dunamis in the Greek, which basically means dynamite. This is why we believe in a robust gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. No one who is born into the family of God that gets confronted with the gospel truth takes Jesus lightly. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be extroverted. You may be a true in introvert. But in your soul, in your inner man, there is this crisis that you come to. How in the world am I going to stand before a holy God when I am a desperately sinful individual? That sets up the next verse. For in it, verse 17, in what? In the gospel. 
the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, and this is what struck Luther, the just shall live by faith. Again, I didn't check this in all the other translations, but I think this is very helpful if you have an ESV Bible, which is obviously our, the preaching Bible that we use. They make a notation there for this part of it. So let's walk back through this. For in it, of course, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, meaning from the beginning of your faith to the ending of your faith comes the righteousness. Okay? Righteousness is attained not of your own. It's an, it's an alien righteousness. It is the righteousness that is provided in Christ by His, his life, His death, and His resurrection that is imputed to you when you come to know the components of the gospel. When you assent within your inner man that all that what God says about who God is and who Jesus is and who you are is true. And then you come to that point where you leap by trusting in Jesus alone to save you. Dear friends, God will save you if you trust in Jesus alone. And this is what it means. From the beginning of your faith to the end of your faith, righteousness is attained from beginning to end by faith. For the just shall live by faith. The one who by faith is made righteous shall live. And that's the only way you're going to find a firm assurance is by trusting in Jesus alone to save you. Now let me just say this. As one who was raised in Christianity, God began to deal with me on that. And here's what I would do. I would just grip. I'd just grip until I, I got out of there. That little one-room church that I was raised in. If that's you, please don't do that. You're endangering your own soul. You have no promise that you'll make it to the end of today. No guarantees. It doesn't matter what our age is. Tragedies abound everywhere. Once Luther, as he crawled up those steps where he was attempting to earn and, 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 and get God's favor through his own um, endurance through his own suffering on his own, when that verse rang through to him, he realized there was nothing on his own that could attain this comfort and peace that he sought. And he trust in Christ alone to save him. And this is what he said. When I discovered that I was born again of the Holy Spirit, it was as if the doors of paradise swung open to me. And I walked through. Dear friend, 
You can be right with God, but only if you receive Jesus by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, now, for all the things that we ever do here, that we give you humble thanks for, all the wonderful studies, the things that we hold to theologically and doctrinally really derive on what's the most important, on what we do with the gospel. And Lord, there might be somebody here this morning that's kind of on the fence. We're certainly thankful for the consistency of people attending. Holy Spirit, do not let go of those who are wrestling with their own sin, a holy God, and Jesus. Break through, we ask, through callousness and coldness. Bring individuals to a point where they recognize their sin and in genuine repentance, they receive Your mercy that's only found in Christ alone. Lord, then they can have salvation. Your Word tells us, whomever calls upon Your name, which means to repent and to believe, shall be saved. They're they're not my words. They're what I desperately need. As does everyone who's in this room. Convict, we ask and pray, as only You can. Draw and bring people to Yourself, Lord God. Grant them, by grace alone, in faith alone, a righteousness that they could never attain alone. Save now, we ask, and build our church in this most essential Simplistic truth. Lord, burn in our hearts and minds and build here a robust love for the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.